Welcome to Talk Mental Health with Logan Noon. This is episode 72. I have on a returning guest today. This is Arisma Gonzalez. Uh, I apologize so much if I'm pronouncing that wrong, my friend. But this is a great episode. Uh, she actually came on on episode 16, way back at the start of the show, um, talking about her experience living through sexual assault. It's really an inspiring story. But today we're going to talk more about her experience starting medical school, the transition from being a pre-med into being a medical student, kind of how COVID has impacted her experience with medical school and also has how Black Life Matters has really what impact that has had on her life as a Latina woman. I think you guys are really going to like today's episode. Uh, if you don't know, I just released a children's book. This book is most appropriate for ages 5 through 12, grades about 1 through 6 or so. This is a children's book that's trying to introduce mental health concepts to kids, trying to teach them that meditation is okay, going to seeing a doctor is normal, and simply just talking about your emotions is also something you should do with your closest friends and family. So I think you guys can re are really going to like the book. Log on to LoganNoon.com to check out that book. And without further ado, let's get started. So yes, no, I am a fourth year now, kind of a big deal. Um, it feels terrifying, awesome, and amazing all at the same time. Um, I literally just found out today that I passed step two. Yeah, so uh, virtual high five from Arizona. And I'm at, or well, you're in Arizona. I'm in Litchfield, Connecticut. I've never done a podcast from this location. Um, so yeah, so I'm doing actually a rotation in addiction medicine right now, um, at a place I used to work when I was a pre-med student. Um, so it's kind of like a pretty cool full circle experience kind of thing. Um, and like some of the people I used to work with are still there. Some of the patients I used to, or well, some of my patients now even work there or around the community and I've gotten to see them like three years later succeed. So that's been rad. Uh, it's been a great experience. It's been really, really, really cool. And I'm so excited to reconnect with you too. Um, this is Arisama. Sorry for the not introducing you sooner on the show. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize how early exactly in the podcast you joined. You were episode 16. That's so long ago. That's so cool. Yeah, and I don't even, or actually I came across your podcast um, through Dr. Gray's podcast, if I remember correctly. Okay. You were interviewed on there and I was like, oh, well, let me check this guy out. And you interviewed, I think it was one of your classmates um, about, yeah. you know, about her experience and overcoming sexual assault. And it's just kind of crazy. You're about to like be almost done with medical school. I just started. Like, it's just crazy how fast time has gone by. Yes. Yes. Especially in medical school, you'll be so busy that, you know, you'll blink and you'll be like, oh my God. Uh, it doesn't feel like that in the moment. I know it's a grind. Uh, I think especially at the beginning. Uh, for me, the worst year of medical school was the first year. Uh, it was, I mean, for me, I, I felt so dumb. I felt so overwhelmed. Uh, I wasn't doing well academically or mentally. It was just all bad. And it steadily, I think, has gotten better and better, at least for me. I know not everyone is that experience. Um, but so for the listeners, if you want to get to know Arisama, Arisama, am I saying that right? I always am nervous. Irasema. Okay, Arisama. Irasema. Look, you're talking to a white boy from Connecticut. My skill set is limited. I'm trying to learn Spanish. Okay, say it one more time for me. I'll say it real slow. Ida? Ira Sima. Ira Sima. Ira Sima. Okay. I'll 
probably butcher it again, but I'll try my best. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and this is actually going to be one of my first film podcasts, so I'll put this up on my YouTube page. But uh, if you don't want to listen to it on or watch it on film, geez, I can't even talk tonight. Uh, so you are um, a Latina med student now. Um, yeah. And there's really many things I kind of want to talk to you about in this episode. Um, you know, you wanted to ask me some questions about uh, starting med school, kind of imposter syndrome. It's really something I think all med students feel. Um, I want to talk to you about COVID's impact on medical school for you. Um, and then I also didn't even really realize, but I was looking through your Instagram prior to this, how much of a personal experience you have with COVID. Um, and if you feel comfortable telling that story. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, how, how you adjusted from pre-med to being a med student, that's always a super weird and awkward transition. And, um, and then I'd also like to ask you how the Black Lives Movement has kind of impacted you. Although I know, well, I guess I don't really know, but I know you identify as a Latina woman. And I, at least to me, I look at Black Lives Movement as a movement it, of not just people of, who identify as black necessarily, but really all non-white kind of people. Um, so I want to get into all of that. So let's start with what questions do you have for me though? What, what has your experience been like kind of moving from, from pre-med to now med student? Uh, you just started and where are you going? Uh, AT still in, uh, in, it's in Mesa, San Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Okay. So you're going to be a DO like me. Very cool. And I'm loving it. Oh, I love learning about um, uh, OMM, OMT. It's okay. It's really different. Um, and I, I actually wanted to ask you this too. Um, you probably have friends that are at allopathic medical schools. Do you think that the fact that we're learning all of the OMM makes your course load a little bit harder than your allopathic? Yeah. I mean, it's just, if you look at, you know, an MD student and a DO student still have the same amount of hours in a day kind of thing. Um, so definitely, I mean, it is additional coursework. I would also though add in, I, I would assume many students would also agree with me by saying the OPP course was probably one of the easier courses out of all the medical school courses. That's not including like the, the ethics courses, the, communication courses or whatever you know you get what i'm saying but the actual like academic real medicine uh the things that are really hardcore on the board exam i just took yesterday uh you know that's i find that a lot easier than biochemistry right <laughs> kind of thing um so so that's kind of my experience with it um i'm interested so how are you taking do you learn opp curriculum both your first and second year yeah so two years straight of it okay Okay. That's how, that's how my experience was too. Um, and you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it to say the least. Uh, there's parts I love, there's parts I hate. And I honestly, I though don't want to jade you at all. You know, I, I like people going in with an open mind to, uh, OMM. Um, and I guess we should kind of explain what that means to the listeners if they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So, you know, I, I, could spew on about this for days but at least I'm interested to hear you so how would you define like an osteopathic physician using uh, OMM osteopath osteopathic manipulative techniques or medicine so initially when I started I was a little confused between the difference between you know like OMM and like what a physical therapist does 
and my fiance is a physical therapist, so we've had some interesting conversations about that. Um, but essentially, it's an osteopathic physician is trained in how to basically use their, their hands as tools to basically help the body self-heal and self-regulate. So we do like lymphatic techniques um, to help the body, you know, they talk about like draining all of the inflammatory mediators, help the body self-heal. Um, it's based on like, if the body is, I don't even know how to explain it really well. It's hard to explain, wouldn't you say? Well, and quite frankly, you're also in really the infancy of your understanding of what it really means. Um, quite frankly, in your shoes, in my first year of medical school, I think I would have answered the exact same way. And, you know, there's, when you're two years into learning osteopath osteopathic manipulative techniques, that's, I think, kind of where a lot of people start to lose their passion for it, certainly. You know, you're prepping for your boards, you have a lot going on, you're trying to cram all this facts in. Um, and some of the techniques, I would argue, just like some medicines we give people, I don't think are really all that effective. Um, you know, like some cancer new treatment medicine, some sometimes doesn't really work for that many people. And I would argue kind of the same for manipulative medicine. But I've actually recently kind of had a different sort of experience. You know, I'm planning on going to psychiatry. So I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to use OPP. You know, I'm never going to use OPP. And then, you know, what I've realized is, you know, when you're stressed, you feel that like kind of pain kind of sometimes in your neck and your back, especially, and just really all of your spine, maybe headaches or something. And by doing simple little things, by helping like someone stretch, it's amazing the effect of stretching, how that can have on the mental state as well. And that's how now I've kind of started to like appreciate OPP medicine. Cause I was helping like stretch out my father actually the other night. And he actually said he felt physically a little bit better, but he's like, I actually feel just more kind of calm kind of thing yeah. after the stretching. So that's kind of now I've grown a different appreciation for it over the years. Well, we call it like uh, a lot of our professors will say, um, like the power of touch, right? It's like very kind of, it comes off kind of like hippie-ish, right? Like the power mm -hmm. of touch. Like, and it's kind of hard, especially like a lot of us coming in, we're like from science backgrounds and we kind of just want like to pinpoint, like we want to see like a difference from A to B, right? From this treatment, I want to see the evidence from A to B. Um, and there is evidence, right? Like if you look at like the cells on a molecular level, like um, there will be like changes to the tissue over time. Um, but more importantly, like you said, like I think the fact that you're touching a patient um, and providing that kind of attention to them um, goes a long way with the relationship that you establish with the patient, right? Because a lot of physicians, I mean, I, I like for, from my experience, I've never been touched by a physician really, unless they were checking, you know, when I fractured my hand or something, you know, like, so I thought, I think that's pretty cool that, that they teach us to be comfortable with, being that, I guess, close with our patients. Yeah, yeah. And you no, know, I definitely think it has its place. Um, you know, I, and quite frankly, as a male, it actually though makes me really nervous. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about like touching patients and moving people around. And, you know, just from my perspective, I am almost terrified that, you know, I might be doing a technique and I don't have any malicious intent, but I might make a female or even a male, uh, feel uncomfortable. And it's not my intention, but it's just part of it. And I think, you know, that's really important to try to explain to the patient what you're going to do ahead of time. Um, 
because I've actually tried to practice some OPP techniques on people where I'm really stretching them and they, they kind of want to stop. They're like, Hey, I'm just a little uncomfortable. Like this is because you, you sometimes are like bear hugging people, yeah. like moving them around. around them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's challenging. Um, but I actually, I think it's, I, I, I want to continue to learn more. Let's, let's put it that way. I mean, it's like even, I think, which one was it? We were like reaching for like the ischial tuberosity and that's just so awkward. Like, especially when you're working, it's like a male working on a female patient in particular, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you have to literally reach under the gluteal folds and like push up, you know, and the patient's like lying in a prone position. And I could see how that would be difficult, especially like if someone has any sort of trauma or anything like that, or if you don't know the patient, you just have to be like super careful. Yeah. And for any listeners who don't understand the old medical jumbo wumbo, that's your ass. You know, we're literally having to feel around your big butt muscle. It gets very strange. It's one of your biggest muscles though, and it definitely needs to get kind of massaged. But OPP aside, how has your experience been at medical school so far? You know, you kind of reached out to me asking sort of about imposter syndrome and, and like feelings you've had. So what, what have you been going through? So... I have a lot of, I think you mentioned this one time on one of your episodes, I have a lot of classmates that are really accomplished, like they have like their master's degrees or they've um, done other graduate programs before coming in to medical school, um, which is awesome because they bring a different perspective. But I think initially, especially your first year, um, it's kind of like bringing everyone up to speed to be on the same level. Um, and a lot of people coming in might have like more knowledge than you. And that's kind of how I feel now, like especially like people that have more experience with working with patients or like, you know, a lot of my classmates described. And so they know a lot of like the different medical terminology that maybe I'm not familiar with. Um, so I especially feel it during like, uh, we have like group, like small group case studies and uh, we have to like play doctor. One person plays doctor and the rest people like, we're kind of like there just to like support one person's like a scribe kind of a thing and uh it just it's just really easy to get down on yourself sometimes like I've definitely left small groups a few times and just been like why am I here like I don't know anything you know um but the more I talk about it with other classmates it, it just it seems like that's a pretty common feeling among medical students yes yeah you hit the nail on the head and I would even argue those people who seem really smart have their own elements of imposter syndrome or maybe they have something to make up for. Uh, I felt a lot of students, especially at the beginning of medical school, you know, we go to DO schools, right? And for the listeners who don't understand, to become a physician in America, at least, there's, you could either go an MD route or a DO route. Um, I think it's a fair assumption, at least in some respects, that DO admissions, the criteria is slightly lower, in a sense. Uh, you know, higher MCAT scores, are typically required for MD schools uh, most of the time. And I think a lot of med students, DO med students in particular at the beginning, some of them are very bitter that they didn't end up at an MD program. And so they start medical school overcompensating and trying to show, um, I should have gotten into MD school. I'm so fucking hot shit. And it's obnoxious and it's stupid and it drives me crazy. Um, I was one of those students at the beginning of medical school, too, that I, quite frankly, all I went to was community college before medical school, and I took an online course in biochemistry. Everybody had more science knowledge than me, 
And how I kind of look at it is, you know, at the end, at the match, you're still all entering into the same match. You're all taking the same board scores, uh, board tests, that is. But you're all becoming physicians at the end. And quite frankly, if someone has a master's degree and all that, whoop de doo a doctor trumps everything kind of thing. That's how <laughs> well, yeah, I look at it. The day. I mean, yeah, I, we were actually just having a conversation last week um, in our small groups. And there was a student there. Um, and granted, she's had a really hard year. Um, she's had like, her dad has like cancer. Her mom passed away last year and she's like starting medical school now and she's from out of state. The I didn't realize you liked me that way deal because it's one thing to receive McDonald's, but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag. Appreciate you. There's a deal for every morning. Now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks. Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. So she's had a tough year and she's, she's struggling. Um, and you know, it's like, especially at the beginning when you're so overwhelmed, it's like, how can I possibly do more than what I'm doing now? Because what our professors love to say, right, is, oh, it's only going to get harder. Like, it's only going to get harder. And granted, like, that is true. Uh, I don't necessarily think, like, stressing out students ahead of time is, like, necessary, right? Like, it's not necessary to, like, give us those big threats. But um, I, I guess, like, the advice I just gave her, too, is, like, at the end of the day, like, if you graduate first in your class or last in your class, your patients are still going to call you doctor, you know, like it, it doesn't really matter. Um, like you have to take care of yourself first. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and then I think what's even more important, and I didn't even necessarily realize this at the beginning, they, so there's two factors, patient satisfaction. There is no correlation between patient satisfaction and how well people did on boards. None. It doesn't matter. It has no real impact on how, quality of a doctor that you're going to be. Absolutely. Now, if you want to go be a neurosurgeon, yes, you have to go kill the boards. Fine. You know, I, there, there is utility to boards. I get it. But at the end of the day, just taking care of patients, how well they respond to you, how well they enjoy their experience with you has nothing to do with medical school. Grades don't fucking matter at all. You know, regular grades don't matter. The boards at least have, I think, some utility, of course, to get residency. But talking about boards further, they did another study that just came out uh, recently, is board scores related to residents being selected for chief residents. And for I the listeners, oh, you saw this. Okay, yeah, for the listeners who don't know what that is, in like your last year of residency, they kind of nominate uh, residents to be the, the lead resident, the captain resident, chief resident, whatever. And they kind of just help organize and they're like the leader of the team kind of thing. It's a very prestigious position. Um, you get paid a little bit more, more respect. You can find a job easier after it kind of thing. Um, and it has no correlation with board scores. It has nothing to do with board scores. These things don't really matter. Um, and yes, if you're trying to be an orthopedic surgeon, then you have to take it. You have to really perform well. But, you know, the quality of being a doctor has nothing to do with your experience right now. Absolutely. I think that's so important, um, especially in the beginning. Like, we're, like, just, I mean, I'm, like, how many months in now? Uh, almost three or. Oh, yeah. so you have started for a while. Okay, I thought you just started. Like, most medical schools. Like, I started in August. Oh, we started super early because our first year is, like, a, it's, like, a year and a quarter. So we started in like June. 
Okay. And do you have a summer? Next summer, yes, we do. So in between one and two? Yeah. Okay. So they okay. just kind of just started in like the summer semester. Um, but yeah, it, especially at the beginning, like we're just learning what, how to study efficiently. We're learning how to like balance uh, being a student and taking care of ourselves. So I don't think it's like, I, I, right now especially, I mean, a lot of students will start stressing about boards now. Um, a lot of my classmates are like, you know, starting to read first aid and doing all of this extra stuff. And while that's totally fine, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary at this point in time. Like, do you agree? Do you disagree? I don't know. Um, both. Um, sorry for the shitty answer, um, but kind of both. Uh, because I'm a, I have the opinion that, you know, in medical school, we're learning stuff that's incredibly challenging, right? And even a lot of people assume if I'm a great doctor, I would be a great teacher. You know, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And at least my experience is we would get assigned these readings that were just massive, like, you know, just huge. You know what I'm, exactly what I'm talking about. And it's like, how can I finish? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How can I finish all these readings by the time and then like prep it? It, it was just psycho. So my, my real experience, you know, I actually thought you just started medical school. I didn't realize you were three months in. So my at least initial experience in medical school was I was trying to do all the readings. I was trying to do it the way that they designed you know, reading or whatever, you know, using the books that they wanted me to. And I was, I was quite frankly, failing everything. I was really bio, my biochemistry and anatomy were the first ones we started with. I was really, really struggling. So I was in the deeps of depression and imposter syndrome then. Cause I was like, fuck, I was like, I only got accepted because I have this cool bipolar disorder story. I have no business being here kind of thing. And so then I kind of learned if I could lean on board prep materials the the first aid the the i really like video series um and so if any media med students are listening i'm a huge proponent of sketchy products like those little cartoons i hope you've started using those because i think they're amazing there's of course a million others we don't need to spew them out but um so i didn't necessarily feel that i was prepping for boards at that point but i was using board prep materials to learn because i felt that at least got me to the passing level because for me that was my goal line i i didn't care about getting a 90 i wanted to get through it and i think the sooner that people can kind of understand the importance of getting through that and being able to you know kind of get in this marathon pace of med school because it doesn't stop you just keep going and going and going and working your way up to eventually you take the worst hardest test of your life but you'll be fine but it really is you have to prepare for that test for like six months kind of thing you yeah. know anyone who says they're uh you know studying ahead or prepping for boards 18 months before it is full of it you know just do your flashcards and shut up right right and that's like another thing right like uh um, dealing with students like that um, because even though we go to a DO school like I will say our program is really collaborative which I love um, everyone shares resources everyone's really supportive for the most part but you will get you know I didn't really understand what vendors were and then first week of medical school I was like ah got it I know who these people are you know and it's true they do take the fun out of medical school and you kind of just have to stay away from those kinds of people you know I don't know and quite frankly you know, 
I've also learned, you know, I had same thing. The first few weeks of medical school, there was people who were trying to create that aura around themselves that I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm alpha, you know, I'm the gunner here. And yeah, I think everyone starts to hate that. Right. And get really annoyed with that. You'll realize after two years of medical school, how much things have changed and how maybe that person has understood they're not quite hot shit as they thought, or they've realized that that type of behavior is not getting them anywhere in medical school and that they need to change to try to collaborate with people to just have a better experience in medical school. So in my experience, what I kind of saw is really personalities change radically over the course of that time. So I, I, I know those gunners definitely keep your space from them, but I would also say try to keep an open mind and give them opportunities to change. And I also think that like sometimes when I, I like will challenge myself to think about like people's behavior especially when I get like frustrated because when you're sleep deprived and you're cranky like it's really easy to just get ticked off um you know just things that I would I would normally let slide suddenly become much more annoying um and so I just like challenge myself to like think about you know like this, this person's probably really insecure if they feel the need to like constantly be announcing to the world like how smart they actually are right um and there's a student in particular that comes to mind and he will literally post like selfies with his computer in the background like this with his like 100% score on exams. And it's like, okay, wonderful. And then he'll like post it on like our collective group chat with all 160 students. Meanwhile, all of us are just like, I'm just trying to pass, you know, like, I don't know how you have time to do that, but cool dude, like whatever. Yeah. You know, there's, I think every medical school class probably has a couple of those. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, just part of the ride. And, you know, one thing I guess that I've, I've at least seen, uh, you know, we, we, of course, I, I hope we get to meet more uh, in the future, but we haven't talked much since your, um, your last time on the show. So when I was looking through your Instagram, just trying, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I, I kind of forgot she was really into this. One, one routine I'm, I'm realizing you do that I really like. Uh, at least something similar is you said post exam you like going to the gym and that's kind of your thing can you talk about that oh my god yeah so I always like to have something to look forward to after um, studying for an exam for like day straight um, so typically I'll like reward myself um, tip the day of the exam I'm sometimes like too exhausted um, so I try to get good sleep the night after the exam and then the next day I'll have like an extra long training session so it'll be like two to three hours um, and I'll go to the gym and I just will not think about school, you know, and granted, I do make time um, to go to the gym um, week to week, right? Like five, five, five days a week, four to five days a week. Um, but I'm usually like constantly thinking about like the time. Um, so that's like my moment to really like let go and be like, this is my time. I'm rewarding myself with this. Um, and that's been really nice because it gives me something to look forward to um, when you're in like that dark abyss of studying. Yes. And I, I think I, I can't tell you how important that is and how much you need to continue that. It's like your teachers say, it's only going to kind of get harder. But I would kind of combat with the teachers. You also get better. You know, you also develop techniques and you can outpace, you know, the difficulty. Um, and I think med school is one of those things that it gets easier and easier and easier and easier. And then step one happens and punches you in the gut. And then, you know, there's a big shift and, and 
changing to rotations is a whole nother challenge and awesome at the same time. But, um, I, you know, it would, I had a kind of a same routine. So my thing, you know, I, I not into three hour, I like some three hour workouts, but not like that. Probably I would go <laughs> golfing. I, you know, that was my big thing. I would, yeah. And Hey, I would walk the golf course. Okay. Let the record show. I would walk the golf course. Um, and you know, so that was my big thing after an exam. I always, I would quite frankly do it the day of, because who cares if you're tired on a golf course and uh, anything's amazing on the golf course. And I would get out there and I think just whatever anyone can find where they lose themselves, where they can forget about medical school. And that's actually one thing I think I can pride myself on in my medical school experience that I did well. I don't think I have the best grades. I definitely didn't have the best grades. I did mediocre on the board exams. Good for me, but mediocre. But one thing I think I did really well was just managing my experience. You know, I, I, I think we all have periods of depression, but I think being able to get away from things um, and like, you know, what I learned with my wife is I had to like schedule time away. You know, when I had a big test, I would be like, okay, I have a test this day and then we're going away for the weekend. Like, I don't care. I'm not studying that weekend. I'm putting everything away, you know, for this time period, I'm just hubby mode or I'm just, you know, like my golfer mode I would do. And that I think that's so important. About that too. Like that was one of my questions because um, I'm getting married this year. And um, it's hopefully. been, hopefully, hopefully. right, yeah. yeah, so yeah. we're having our wedding next year, but we're getting like our marriage license this year. Oh, okay, okay, so that will at least happen for sure, okay. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you about that, like how have you balanced like being a husband and being in medical school and you, you're a dog dad now, so how, how do you balance all of that? Uh, that's a good question, and it was you know, I would almost, it's analogous to, to an academic med school experience. It starts out really, really challenging. And I think it gets easier. You know, when you get to medical school and I don't know what your socialization has been like because of COVID, but you get to medical school and we talked about gunners, but the vast majority of people that you meet, at least I hope, are people that are very much like you. You know, they have similar interests, they're into health, they want to, uh, of course, help people, they like science, they're very driven. So I found some of the best friends that I've ever met in medical school, just people that were wonderful. And, you know, it was very challenging to balance academic demands with me wanting to find a social group at school that I felt supported in, and I could have laughs, and I could play basketball with, and then also have that time with my wife that was really important and that balancing act was extremely hard and I definitely made sacrifices in each one of those categories at some point uh, where I wish I didn't and it was it's really hard and you just have to remember that each one of the things is important but you're never going to be able to give time to to every single one that enough of time to each one that you want to kind of so thing That's so true. it's a it's a balancing act. And I think also, I just think, you know, being very open about the demands of medical school and the requirements from your, your friends, your non-medical school friends and your, your fiance or whatever, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm going to need to study 18 hours or so over the course of four days for this exam. And I'm probably going to be in a cranky, annoying mood. You know, I think that's a great way to, great thing to also add it. I learned that one after a couple of years <laughs> and, and, you know, be like, I'm going to be cranky, but I bet I'll be in a much better mood after this test. Let's go get away. Let's have a romantic date 
or something during during that time off and I would try to budget my time that way definitely it's been it's been a little I think next year that will be more challenging for me so I don't know if I mentioned this um, to you before I'm in I'm in Mesa for one year but then I'm going back home because my next three years our clinicals are going to be in Tucson where I'm from okay so I'll be back so right now my fiance is in Tucson so this first year I'm here alone um, I do have two friends two roommates from undergrad that are here with me too but um I think that aspect has been a little bit easier but even times like I won't even realize and it's been like two days and I haven't like called Ethan right and he gets worried and he's like you know just just five minutes five minutes um you know let's like FaceTime a little bit um so it's hard like it's I think the hardest thing has been like finding time away from school. One of my friends, when she was in medical school and I was an undergrad, she said like the hardest part of medical school is like finding time to like take care of your relationships outside of school. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. Like it, it has been a challenge for me to just not be so, um, I guess just not have tunnel vision studying, you know? Well, you just said something great segue into I think my favorite mantra really of medical school and now it's something that I'm trying to apply to life. You know, you, your friend said, I, I don't find the time for relationships. You know, in medical school, you're never going to find the time for anything ever, ever. And so, you know, what me and my friends would talk about and what we kind of developed is, you know, you only have so many hours in a day and I don't think I never endure studying all night. I think that's the dumbest thing in the world. You know, whatever your bedtime is that you feel most comfortable, have a hard cutoff an hour or maybe even two hours before that. We would kind of call it dumbass time. You know, you're trying to be you're trying to be this smart person all day, trying to become a doctor, learn all these many things. But at least for me, when 9 p.m. hit, that was my dumbass time. Like I'm over it fuck this. I'm watching YouTube car videos about, you know, Mustangs and Subarus and all the car things I love. I'm going to hang out with my wife, watch Trevor Noah, you know, and yeah. just, and just kick back and relax. And then I started trying to apply that kind of time management to everything. It's like, okay, at, at 6 PM from six to seven or six to six thirty or whatever, I'm going to have dinner with my wife and that's my time. You know, because so many times in medical school, we fall in this trap and in life, you, 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 like to-do lists. And to-do lists are great, but they're also very intimidating and all these things. So I think if you just budget out your time and say more like study biochem from one to four, from four to 4.30, I'm talking to Ethan, no matter what. Even if I get every single question wrong, even if I didn't learn anything in those three hours of studying, it doesn't matter. It just, just you know, it's it's about the effort and putting the reps in. And sometimes I think so many people get down on themselves, especially I think this is most applicable once you get closer to boards where it's like, okay, I want to get 80 questions done and then I'm going to do this. And then if I don't get this percentage on my questions, I'm going to do another 10. And it's just like, whoa, you know, chill, you know, relax. And so that's, that's, I think my, my answer kind of to, to that. For sure. That's been, yeah, it's been, um, I mean, it's, it's been challenging um, being away from him right now, especially. Um, it's just been, I mean, he lost his dad earlier this year um, to COVID. So there was a lot of guilt um, for me moving over here, being away from him um, during this like really difficult period, right? So I, I do make an effort and I do go up there to see him, you know, like 
two weekends a month or he comes down, he visits me for a weekend. And I do my best to not study while he's here or when I'm there. And that seems to work out okay. And I do make up for, I mean, I do have to pay for it the rest of the week, right? Because what I don't do on the weekend, I have to do during the week. But I think it's worth it. Um, Very much so. Mm -hmm. Very much so. I think you got to do it. And, you know, you're, you're only three months into medical school and you have another, oh, beautiful 18 months before uh, step one, um, the worst test ever. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, I know you lost, I guess it was your father-in-law to COVID. I imagine that was just terrible and I'm sorry you had to go through that. Also, how has COVID really now impacted your education? It has been, so the hardest part has been anatomy for sure, um, because we can't even see like cadavers in person. Um, we're doing all anatomy online. Um, and it just sucks to be honest. Like you can't yeah. learn anatomy online. Like you, it's something you need to learn, like be able to see, touch, like the structures. Um, and there's so many differences, right? Between structures, like between bodies and stuff. So, um, it's just really, that's been the hardest part. Um, and I do feel, so in undergrad, I did take two anatomy classes, um, but I'd like, even then, like I'm struggling and I have classmates that don't have any, like I've never taken anatomy class and it's even harder for them um, yeah. because they don't have like, even just like the basics. Um, I was one of those students. <laughs> And it just, I was I was shocked anatomy is not a prereq for med school. I don't know how that's the dumbest thing in the world. But physics and OCHEM are, and I'm like, we have never we've used like one concept from OCHEM, like this. Yeah. This entire yeah. You know, ride. Yeah, I I had no idea about anything anatomy related. It was hysterical. Um, my start of anatomy courses, but I had the experience of getting in deep with cadavers, literally hands deep and. Um, you know, it's almost, I feel like a rite of passage for medical students and, you know, cutting apart literally the entire, the, bot, <laughs> the entire body. Some people get grossed out, but it is very interesting and it is a privilege to, to get to learn in that capacity. Um, I, I, there's a website I really liked called teachmeanatomy.info. Um, I highly encourage you to check that out, teachmeanatomy.info. And at least for me, um, in my <laughs> lack of an anatomical background, it was a lifesaver. It was, for me, just a great way to learn. Uh, you know, it was a way I could supplement my learning, of course, with the cadavers, but especially learn, um, there's like practice questions on there. There's really easy diagrams to follow. Uh, I would get so intimidated by those diagrams that had like a million things pointing to them. The teachmeanatomy.info website was much more basic things kind of thing. You know, it was, it, for, for my level, I don't know how good of an anatomy student you are. It was unbelievable. I have to look into that. I have to like recommend that too. Cause I know a lot of us, especially for like right now, first semester, it's like very, um, like foundational knowledge, I think, right? Um, so we're not getting into like the nitty gritty anatomy. Um, I guess that's next semester stuff, but. Huh, because yeah. we just did kind of body regions, like extremities and then back and then abs and. That was so weird. They have it like set up. So these first, this first block that I, we're in right now, I think it ends in two weeks. It's like, it's called like health and healing, but it's like literally all subjects in one. So we have like, we had like a week of lymphatic and immuno. We had a week of um, NMSK. We had like a week of cardio and it, they integrate like the, the basic anatomy into each of those weeks. Um, 
but it's yeah it's kind of a hot mess the first block at our school is not has historically not been um, a favorite among the students um, interesting but, interesting yeah. my school started heavy in biochem and i wanted to cry every day <laughs> basically basically um so the last kind of thing that we haven't really touched on so you are uh you identify as latina and so you know with everything that's going on right now with black lives matter you know my wife is latina and so she's really helped me um just learn about her experience more through this and i've always tried to listen but i've been listening more and i think better during times like this so how has black lives matter impacted you how do you feel this movement can also impact the Latin community and help improve their rights? What do you think? So it's been, um, it's, it's obviously been like very stressful um, to see like these injustices happen so often. Um, and I think that just has to do with the accessibility of social media. Um, and it does put like a damper on my day sometimes. Uh, because it's in the back of my mind, you know, like how how do we live in a world where this is socially acceptable, you know, where people can get away with things like this. Um, but I think one thing that I've really enjoyed about medical school is just like learning about like opposing views. And I think that's important. I have my views, right? Um, and I think it's pretty obvious that I have pretty liberal views, but I go to a school in an area um, with a very large Mormon community. I have a lot of classmates um, that are Mormon. I have a lot of classmates that have very conservative views. And it's been really interesting to hear their side of it too. Um, so, and we've actually talked about it. Yeah, we have like those communication classes um, that you were mentioning and they get pretty heated sometimes. Um, but I think it, it sparks like really important dialogue. And at the end of the day, we all kind of learn a little bit more about each other. Um, and I think I, my views have changed a little bit since starting medical school um, because, I mean, it's not, it's not okay, right? It's not okay for police officers to kill unarmed black men. However, we also just can't eradicate the, completely, the police force. We can't just do that, right? Um, and it was same with like my immigration views, right? Like we've talked about this too. Uh, my family, they're all, you know, immigrants. Um, I have my views about immigration reform. But we also just can't eradicate border patrol, right? And I've learned to kind of become a little bit more centered. Um, and I think it's important to just like keep an open mind about those things. Um, and as far as like the, you know, the Latinx community, I think that it's it's brought it's brought the communities a little bit closer, um, different communities of color a little bit closer. Because I think historically um, the civil rights movement of the African-Americans that was taught as a separate kind of movement from like the Cesar Chavez uh, marches, right? And I don't know, I think that right now it's like very integrated. Um, and I think that we're all just kind of showing up for each other. Um, and especially at my school, like I feel very supported by other students, um, especially when these dialogues get kind of messy uh, because there are students, unfortunately, that get into medical school um, that don't think racism is an issue, that racism shouldn't be talked about, that it's not their job to learn about racism. Um, and it absolutely is because you're going to be seeing patients, um, that deal with these issues every day and it's going to impact their health negatively. Right. Um, so I think I just encourage if you're going into medical school or if you're not just to like keep an open mind. Um, 
I think that that's been like the most important thing for me out of this. Yeah, my wife made an extremely interesting point to me kind of earlier. We were talking about kind of Black Lives Matter. And one thing, you know, we kind of said, you know, imagine a scenario we've, we've heard a lot of times in the news recently about how a, a white police officer approaches a man, a black man, and the situation isn't handled properly, you know, and it, that's horrific. And I, I of course, want to see reform. And I, I'm getting incredibly frustrated by, we see these protests and we see all these amazing things, um, but the government hasn't done anything. And, and I don't know if you saw, but the NBA is not playing any playoff games tonight in protest. And I am just so proud to be a basketball fan. And I'm so stoked, even though all day today, I was actually thinking about how excited I was to watch the Rockets Thunder game. Like I, I was like, oh, I'm going to record it. I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to watch it after the podcast. But I was, I was even more thrilled to be like, wow, like this is bigger than basketball. This is, this is really, Absolutely. really cool. Like what a privilege um, to be witnessing these moments, right? Like these moments of change. Yeah. And then, so I'm talking to my wife and, you know, we're talking about, you know, how a lot of times these white police officers aren't handling these interactions with uh, people from the black community very well. And so what she was saying, she's like that, those type of interactions also exist in the Latin community all the time. And she's like, especially with men, but she was like, in my experience, I think a lot of those men aren't always here legally. And so they're afraid to speak out about their experiences because they don't want to speak out about their experiences, their injustices, and then get kicked out of the country. Kind well, of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, and that, and that was, wasn't something I really, I mean, I always understood in some respects, but I guess I hadn't thought about enough. And so I, I hope the Black Lives Movement can create some radical change in, in the justice system and, you know, police unions changing how that works. And cause I know it's going to benefit anyone kind of, of color really, or any minorities and just hopefully make this a little bit more of an equal playing field. Definitely. And actually like I, a couple months ago, it must've been like February or March. Um, I got pulled over and it was my first time ever getting pulled over. I had been, I've had interactions with police officers before, but it was never where I was like pulled over alone. Um, and I started crying and I was like freaking out and I couldn't understand why I was so nervous. Um, and luckily the police officer, he just approached me and he, he actually had his hands up and he's like, hi, like, you know, he was very sweet. He was like, do you know why I pulled you over? And I was like, no. Um, and I was obviously like very emotional he's like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like, I'm just pulling you over because your tags are expired. And that was just like a huge sigh of relief. And he's like, um, he actually took the time to just like, let me calm down. And he took the time to show me like, I'm not here to be a threat. I'm not here to hurt you. However, just because this is a big thing that I brought up with these conversations, just because I have never had a bad experience with a police officer does not mean that someone else's experience could have been, you know, very negative or very, scary um and i think that's important to keep in mind um like with ethan my fiance i've had a lot of really interesting conversations with him he's like a white boy from the suburbs from one of like the most wealthiest suburbs in the nation we're like complete opposites um and he's never had a bad experience with a police officer um but that's like one thing that i really try to educate people on it's like just keep an open mind just because it's never happened to you doesn't mean it doesn't happen to other people and now we have this video evidence that shows these injustices happening, right? So if you're like choosing 
to not acknowledge that you had there's a bigger issue there okay like you really need to like address your own biases there um so yeah i don't know yeah it's it's very it's a strange time and you know i i'm just terrified that all of these efforts are falling on deaf ears and i think it's different in generations and I think a majority of the generations that are in government or the majority of the people in government are of an older generation. And I, I don't want to bash old people <laughs> by any means, but you know, I, I really just, I, I hope that there is some means of change because yeah, exactly what you said. I'm sure I've had similar experiences to your fiance. You know, I'm white guy from Connecticut. I haven't really had negative experiences with police officers, but I, I, you know, I think we can all assume that there's, of course, quality police officers out there, but that same police officer that might have treated me with the utmost respect and it was whatever, it was fine, could turn around on his next uh, interaction with a member of the community who maybe looks a lot different than me, and it could have been totally, totally different. Um, and it, it's it's kind of scary to think about in that regard. And And I think you brought up a good point, you know, how I kind of feel about it, like, I I almost equate defund the police, the chanting, that with the lock her up chanting of the Republicans in 2016. It was like these two radical things that make no sense. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, mm -hmm. this is so stupid. Like, if you want to prosecute Hillary Clinton, prosecute her. You don't lock her up. Right. You know, if we want police reform, we can't strip all the money from the police like that. What, you know, and, and I think it's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but I think in some ways we actually need to need to put more money into policing. I don't know what that looks like, but more quality police officers, more, more screenings. Training. Yeah. More, yeah screenings. more trainings. And then um, right now with the, the other side of it, right. Too is like all of right now, there's a lot of media attention on the sex trafficking. Um, and I actually never, I live in Tucson and that's supposed to be one of like the biggest sex trafficking hubs in the country because we're so close to the border. Um, and I have a friend from high school who's a police officer and I have really interesting conversations with him and I, I we do challenge each other to kind of see opposing views, right? Um, and it's true, the first thing to go when you defund the police are the units that are combating um, sex trafficking of children, uh, which I didn't know. Um, so that's like something else to keep in mind, right? Like it's come, it's coming away from something that's important. Um, and additionally, I think that where we should be putting our money is towards bringing in more experienced, um, police officers, better training, more, I guess, like prerequisites for them to become police officers. Um, because as far as my understanding is you don't have to have a degree to become a police officer. Um, you don't have to have training in criminal background, like your criminal justice um, you kind of just go to the police academy, become a police officer. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's definitely, it's, it's more lenient than I think it should be. Yeah. I mean, quite frankly, I, I really don't know. And so I, I don't even really want to speak on it, but I just almost look at it in a more basic sense. And, you know, my mother is a public school teacher. Um, so I look at it kind of any individual who's working for our government, if they're not paid a very good wage, you aren't going to get very good high quality candidates. And, you know, I, I think my mother is a tremendous 
teacher, but I think, you know, she deserved a lot more money than she got paid as a public school teacher. I think there's uh, some police officers that probably are worth much, much more than they're paid to their community. Um, and then there's, of course, you know, people that are crappy and just, just not worth it. So I think if we, if we think about it as, you know, this is an investment in the community kind of thing and a more thorough screening, more thorough trainings, um, you know, cause when we saw that, uh, that video from Jacob Blake and, and all these different videos, what I don't really get is like, why aren't we using taser guns? And like, you'll eventually, when you get to the psych course, you'll learn about this one drug kind of cocktail called, they refer to it as vitamin H. It's an antipsychotic, Halperidol. Uh, it's Benadryl, funny enough. And then it's uh, Benzo, uh, Lorazepam, okay? And you just put it in the person and they go to sleep a few minutes later. You know, it's, it's like all these non-lethal, I don't know much about policing. I quite frankly don't know much about uh, martial arts and all these things, but it just seems like why aren't, like, why aren't things like that employed much more than the weapon, which I feel like should always be the last resort. And that's an interesting point. Um, I'm not going to mention like who said this, but someone that is a current police officer in Tucson, um, he talked about um, how they are right now the way that the training is set up in Tucson is, I don't know if it's like this everywhere, uh, but in Tucson, it's if you feel threatened, you pull your weapon. That's like stage one. So you can see how that's not like de-escalating the situation at all. Um, because now you're scared and you're holding the weapon. The person you're pointing the weapon at is scared. Um, and it just doesn't make sense to me um, how police officers are not trained in de-escalation um, properly, right? Especially when they have these weapons on them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're, such, we're so big on the right to bear arms, right? The right to bear arms. And I think that's part of it. Our country just loves guns. Our country loves to be able to have people in power with guns. Um, and I think that's a whole other issue that we could get into another day, but I don't know. Yeah, it's been very strange. You know, I've, so I've lived on the West Coast and the East Coast. Connecticut is rather blue. Um, you know, there's, of course, I think there's gun ownership uh, rights everywhere and, and people are passionate about it. But it's not big, I would ever say. Not, not, I didn't think it was very big. Um, I lived in Sacramento. That was, you know, a, a city, still not that big. And now I live in a very rural area in Washington State. It is night and day difference living on the west coast and i'm sure tucson arizona must be very similar to yakima washington in that regard it's that very um people love their guns here people love their confederate flags um i have a different opinion but you know it it, it brings out good conversations i i will say that like i'm always open to listening to why people feel the need to do that i don't agree with it um but even now i mean the crossfit the crossfit community actually is uh, there's a lot of military personnel, there's a lot of law enforcement, firefighters. And it's interesting because I'm typically um, an outsider uh, in that regard, right? Because a lot of them have very conservative views. Um, and the first day I walked into the gym that I'm going to now, there's like posters of guns all over the gym. Like, why is that necessary, you know? But um, it, just, it just goes to show, um, People are really big on like land rights and the right to bear arms here. Um, it's, it's just different. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The Confederate flag, I don't think I would ever 
I think you're being a little too nice here. I don't, I don't think I'd ever say it's good conversation. I mean, that's, it's that great. for me is, I think the ultimate sign of disrespect, stupidity, and it stands ignorance. For it stands for yeah. treason. Like, what are you really representing, you know? Um, and it, it's I, I don't get it. We had, and I used to work at a bookstore at the University of Arizona. This is a university bookstore where all the students would get their textbooks. I had, um, you know, coworkers that were African-American um, and they would make us sell Confederate flags to students, our university. And we tried bringing this up to the bookstore and we were just required to sell them. We didn't have a say in it. Um, and you can see like how, I mean, especially for my African-American coworkers, I was like, how is this okay? You know, how is this even acceptable? Um, the University of Arizona is also a very red school, so I don't know. Yeah, and like, I mean, shouldn't it be, in a sense, illegal in America to make money off of selling a Confederate flag? I mean, I, I'm all for freedom of, I don't know. I mean, I'm for freedom of speech, and I and I, I definitely respect that. And I, I but uh, that display of hate, you know, it's it's like, well do we allow people to display flags of a Nazi flag? Like that was our enemy at one point. Like I, what, I don't get it. I don't um, know. and I, I have to continue to learn, but I just, I, you know, this whole experience with COVID and black lives matter, I feel so frustrated with the political system that it really is almost motivating me to think about maybe entering the political system in in some regard i don't know even how but it's just i i am beyond frustrated and i think i think if there was a lot more doctors in politics maybe coronavirus would have been handled much differently oh, absolutely. Um, i mean the saying now at our school is like fauci for president or like fauci my president 2020 because it's true like at this point he's the only one that's speaking any sense with covid and it's been extremely frustrating um, having lost like a member of my family that I was very close to, to COVID, and then seeing the way that our country has handled it and how mm -hmm. people have politicized a virus that's so deadly to so many, you know? I'm getting really worked up now talking about it. Even just like, I don't know, that's been, I think that's been the hardest part about school right now, actually, too. It's just like, we're, they're really trying to catch us up with everything with COVID. Um, and my, when my father-in-law was in the hospital, they gave him hydroxychloroquine for five days and now, and he had a, he had a previous heart attack like years ago. And now they, now the new information, right. Is that you're not supposed to do that. Um, and that's been frustrating. It's like, the more I know about it, like the more it hurts. Cause I know that like maybe his life could have been spared if they had done things differently, but I know they did the best that they could, you know? So it's like very conflicting. And then I turn around and I see like, my classmates, like even my classmates or even just friends that I have um, partying at a bar is like, you know, like refusing to wear masks. And it's like, why, when did this become like such a political thing or such an infringement on your rights, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had better answers and it is beyond frustrating 
Because, yeah, I don't understand why a mask is so restricting on someone's rights. And if we almost take an economic stance, you know, if we manage coronavirus better, it's going to be much better for our economy and we can open up sooner. And yeah. if we had better mask wearing policies, if we had an instituted mask policy from the federal government on down from the very beginning, this would have been very, very, very different. And now I also don't like saying that the Democrats are totally even innocent in this regard no, either, because I, I feel like they're leaning in to the mass. You know, I saw um, one of these outlets and I quite frankly, I don't even remember exactly what politician it was. So I don't even want to you know, spew misinformation into the Internet. But it said they were trying to institute a policy that whenever you're outside, you would be required to wear a mask. It's like that defeats the whole purpose of a mask. It's not how it's supposed to be used. It's literally when we're in any kind of crowd environment or an enclosed space around other people, that is the efficacy of the mask. If you're out by yourself exercising, the mask is not doing anything. And it drives me crazy. You know, and like we've all seen and laughed at people in their car, but I, I, you know, I think the Democrats are almost to blame for that. It's like the science is, is now getting in the back front of these politics. And it's like wearing a mask is almost a sign of what team you're for when it is should it just crazy? be. Yeah. It's crazy to me how we are the only country it feels like that has treated it that way. Like your political affiliation is now, if you're, if you wear a mask, you're probably a Democrat. If you don't wear a mask, you're probably a Republican. Like, where is the logic in that, right? Um, and you're right. Like, I've seen on the on the radio. I think I heard about like some politicians like talking about like mask up Arizona and um, basically like throwing other politicians on the under the bus for being against wearing a mask. And it's like, when did things get this bad? You know, like it's it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've I've I've tortured you on this podcast now for I don't even know how long. I know you just had a hard workout of CrossFit, making me feel bad about my weak ass, lame ass workout this morning I did by myself. I need to set my game up. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on none of the actually gyms are open in Connecticut, I think. Um but I, I could I still feel a little uncomfortable going to be honest. Um, okay. It's okay to be safe. Um, it's, it's okay to you know. I it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm living with my parents now. If I oh, if I wasn't, what? well, just just during this rotation period, um, you know, it I it will be a little different I think moving forward because um, I greatly miss the gym and I'm not able to do everything that I used to be able to do. Um, but that's okay. And it's just a different challenge. And I'm trying to work on my flexibility a little bit more. And uh, resistant bands have been incredible for me. I've been able to do most things with my resistant bands. So it's been great. Um, it's crazy. You're now episode 71. Um, I hope you listeners like this show. If you want to hear more from Irisima. Did, did I get it? Irisima. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Give me, get, I get a, I get like a gringo star. Like I tried my best. Okay. Um, episode uh, 16 is where you can hear more from her. Uh, you're awesome. You're going to do great in medical school. I'm definitely going to have you on again. Cause I think we had a really cool, interesting conversation today. Um, anything else you want to spew out into the internet radio sphere? Just take care of yourself people. I don't know. It's, it's a weird time to be alive right now. 
Um, just and sometimes that's a good thing. It's a weird time yeah, to be alive. Yeah, we're witnessing, right, like history in the making, but um, just, I don't know, hug your loved ones a little bit tighter. Um, tell them you love them often. I think that's the biggest thing I can tell you guys. I, yeah, I think maybe the last thing I want to spew is, you know, I think if, if people can really focus at for every day, but just this, this next day, really try, just try to take 10 breaths in a row where all you think about are those breaths, just 10 breaths. And quite frankly, I would do that even in tests sometimes, because I feel like I would be losing my mind so much. And I'd be like, oh God, I'm only on question 40. There's a hundred. And I would be like, you know what? I'm going to take 30 seconds. I'm going to do my breathing. And I would do those 10 deep breaths. And then I found that I was able to focus much better, less stress and just mentally better. Definitely. All right. Well, cheers. Enjoy your evening out there in Arizona um, on a weird time zone. I still have no idea what a time it is there, but uh, it was great talking to you and I look forward to talking to you again. Likewise. Lynn. Take care. All right. Later. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Now through February 16th, join a clean and spacious Planet Fitness for zero enrollment and only $10 a month. With tons of equipment and free fitness training, it's the perfect place for everybody to work out. Even me, Mr. I can't sleep at night, so I keep dozing off during the day. Especially you, Snoozy. You'll rest easier and feel fit-tacular. Wait, how did you get in here? Join in club or at planetfitness.com. Zero enrollment, $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Hurry, deal ends February 16th. See club for details.